This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 41, The Real Professor Moriarty. Well, hello again, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Vierla, your pedagogic host, and thanks for being here. Before we start, of course, share this episode if you like it. You know, spread the love, let others know about us, and I'll reference where and how to do that at the end of the show. So throughout literature, there are many great characters, villains, heroes, even anti-heroes. And if an author is lucky, their characters will remain a force through the decades. Perhaps one of the most successful authors is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And his success, no doubt, is largely based on his character Sherlock Holmes, the quintessential detective using his mind powers to solve mysterious crimes. But no great hero would reach iconic status without a foe that matches them. And for Sherlock Holmes, his greatest nemesis is Professor Moriarty, a.k.a. the Napoleon of crime. But this evil character was not developed solely from Conan Doyle's mind alone. Today, let's dive into the real-life inspiration for this legendary literary archetype, a man named Adam Worth. Here's what I know. Adam Worth was born in 1844 in Germany to a poor family. But... At the age of five, his family moved to Massachusetts, where his father worked as a tailor. Apparently, though, Adam didn't fancy his home life, and for whatever reason, he left home. Some say ran away. Around the age of 14, though, he ended up in Boston. I'm not sure what a young lad does during this time at his age to live, but I guess maybe chimney sweeping, hemp dressing, or being a quarryman. But we do know by 1860, he moved to New York to take what Worth would later call, quote, my first and only honest job, unquote. The job was that of a department store clerk, probably telling he was only employed here for a month. No worries, though. In 1861, the Civil War broke out and Worth, who was now 17, lied about his age in order to enlist. Apparently, he did pretty well under the Union Army and made the rank of sergeant in about two months. This was a testament to his natural leadership abilities. Now, while serving in the 34th New York Light Artillery Regiment, he was so lucky as to be sent into combat at the Second Battle of Bull Run in 1862. For you Civil War buffs, this battle was a big win for the Confederate forces, which took place in Prince William County, Virginia, in 1862. During the battle, Worth was injured and promptly sent to a hospital in D.C. Now, here is where the ball got rolling on his criminal mastermind. While he was recovering from his injuries, it came to his attention that he had been errantly listed as having been killed during the battle. Instead of being like most people and having the clerks correct this mistake, he took advantage of it. Being dead, he was free to leave. So that's what he did. And since he was dead, he could re-enlist into the Union Army as a new person. Now, at this time in 1863, a person could pay someone a bounty to take their place in the draft. 
So if I didn't want to fight, I would pay a bounty to someone else to take my spot. And this cost was ranging somewhere between $300 and $1,000 in the Union at this time, typically. That sum was about a year's worth of money to some of the more rural individuals who enlisted. A good deal. For an idea, a private's monthly pay was about $11. Let me mathify this a little for you. So in 1860, $300 would be worth about $8,840 in 2017 US dollars. So that $11 a month pay that a private would make would be somewhere around $310 today. So that's how much they would take home, roughly $300 in today's money per month. A good chunk of change for the day to be sure, which is probably why it encouraged a practice known as bounty jumping. This is when someone would take a bounty to sign up to serve for someone else and then go AWOL. The jumper would then start the process all over again, enlisting under different areas and names, all the while pocketing the signing bonuses and bounty money. And this is what Worth did. Now, the penalty for bounty jumpers ranged from imprisonment to death. A severe problem for the Union to deal with, as some estimate during the Civil War, there were somewhere around 268,000 desertions, and a large chunk of these were bounty jumpers. So to help combat it, the government used the famous and story-worthy Pinkerton Detective Agency to track down bounty jumpers. Worth, being a wily individual, managed to evade their pursuit though, and moved back to New York. After the Civil War ended, he became quite good at pickpocketing, eventually forming his own gang of pickpocketers. I assume having pickpocket turf wars with rival pickpocket gangs. Maybe like the Jets and the Sharks dancing and singing, a little bit of snapping. Well eventually, Worth's stealing days caught up with him and after robbing a freight and cargo transport company called Adams Express, he was sentenced to three years in the notorious Sing Sing prison. But prison is for suckers. Worth managed to escape in just a few weeks. It is important to note that Worth didn't like violence, and perhaps this was a big key to his being able to mastermind plans effectively, making them safer, and earning him a gold star for most improved criminal when he broke out of prison. He soon took up associations with the n-n-notorious criminal queenpin Frederica Mandelbaum. She was known in the shady underbelly of society for being a fancier of criminal activities as well as a pretty darn good fence. And a fence is someone who knowingly buys stolen goods to flip them for profits. Well, this proved to be a lucrative and career-building experience for Worth, who graduated from pickpockets to organizing store robberies and bank heists. And my boy Worth was good. By 1869, he was viewed by the criminal underworld as a very respected fellow who knew how to get the job done. In fact, he was even hired to organize a prison break of skilled safecracker Charlie Bullard because criminals need a skilled safecracker in their ranks. Charlie, also known as Piano Charlie, was serving a sentence at the White Plains Jail for stealing $100,000, which in today's money would be equivalent to stealing $1.7 million. So Worth's plan was to bribe the guards and dig a tunnel under the jail. And wouldn't you know it, it worked. 
And this would be the start of a beautiful friendship between Worth and Bullard, or at least the start of an awesome crime duo. One of their most notable jobs was one where they again used a tunnel. This time they set up a fake shop front in close proximity to a bank where they then proceeded to tunnel to the bank and looted it to the tune of about $200,000 from its safe or about $3.4 million in today's money. Perhaps not surprisingly, this style of robbery was used in the Sherlock Holmes story, The Red-Headed League. This heist did cause the Pinkerton Detective Agency to get hot on their trail though, and they started closing in. But it was at this time that Worth and Bullard decided to hoof it on the hot foot over to Europe. Now in Europe, the pair took on aliases. Charles H. Wells, a Texas oil man for Bullard, and Henry Judson Raymond, a financier for Worth. And soon the two started a gambling racket in Paris and participated in some well-paying robberies. Life was pretty good. He and Bullard took a fancy to a sweet lass named Kitty Flynn, who ended up marrying Bullard, but apparently the three were very close. I'm hesitant to call it a swinger situation, but there may have been some shenanigans of the sexy type going on here with Bullard and Flynn, and Flynn and Worth. But they all seem to be okay with their situations. Wink. Anyways, in the 1870s, they moved to London and Worth, under his Raymond alias, got in with the upper crust of society. Well-liked and charismatic, he was even known to rub elbows with Edward VII, a.k.a. Prince Albert Edward, a.k.a. the Prince of Wales, a.k.a. you better let him out because he's in a can joke guy. Hello, Swifty Stop, this is Tina. How may I help you? Yes, um, hello, do you sell ci cigarettes? Yeah, we got cigarettes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And do you, uh, have, uh, other tobacco products? Yeah, what are you looking for, hon? <laughs> I got it, I got it. Um, well, do you have Prince Albert in a can? <sighs> yes. <laughs> well, you better let him out. <laughs> <laughs> I hate my life. Prince Albert would eventually become King of England, but back to Worth, who by now had purchased for himself a quite dashing villa in one of the poshest of London suburbs, as well as also having an apartment in the hipstery area of Piccadilly. Now, Worth, being the brain he was, started forming a vast criminal network which he used to plan robberies and heists. But his genius came in the form of him using middlemen so that no one committing the crimes knew who the boss was. This kept his name clean, so to speak. Ever the gentleman, though, Worth made sure his taste for nonviolence was followed during the crimes. A criminal with a heart. Aww. Okay, so Scotland Yard was following this criminal network and suspected that Worth was behind it, but they couldn't prove it. 
Worth's home was a meeting place for the seediest of society, but the police just couldn't finger him for any crimes. By this time, Worth's criminal reach now went international, and he and his network perpetrated a complex scheme of forged letters of credit in Turkey. Now, some of his men were arrested, and Worth had to end up bribing judges and police to let them go. Now, around this time, Bullard and Kitty moved back to New York, and in 1876, Worth committed one of his most famous crimes, the stealing of a Thomas Gansborough painting of Georgiana Cavendish, Duchess of Devonshire. Side note, Gansborough was quite good and noted for his speed of painting at the time. Kind of like the Bob Ross of his day, I suppose. He lived from 1727 to 1788. Oh, and Duchess Cavendish was a hot fashionista socialite for her day, and great-great-great-great-aunt of Princess Diana, an interesting lady. She lived from 1757 to 1806, but we're not going to get into her today. So, back to the painting. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, it is quite captivating. So this painting was on display in an art gallery when it went missing in 1876. The plan for Worth was to either use the painting as a sort of ransom piece to get some of his boys bailed out of prison, or to straight out sell it. But it seems that Worth actually grew kind of smitten to the picture and didn't really want to part ways with it. Skeet skeet? Hmm? Well, he held on to it for 20-some years, and ends up stashing it in America. And I'll get to that later, but after the painting's disappearance, no one really knew Worth had it, but many suspected. So Worth continues on his crime schemes, and in 1880, he ends up marrying Miss Louise Margaret Boljon, under his alias name of Henry, of course. They end up having a son, Henry, and a daughter, Beatrice. And eventually, Worth made his way to South Africa where he managed to swipe about $500,000 worth of raw diamonds. Uncut, and in today's money, that would be about $11 million. He moved these after forming a diamond company in London to sell them. Life seemed good. But keep in mind, Worth was living the high life and spending quite large, like Great Gatsby style. So he's burning through all his money, and in 1892, he plans a robbery in Belgium. But he seemed to have lost a step, and his masterminding slipped. During the robbery of a money transport cart, it ended up getting botched, and Worth was arrested on the spot. In prison, Worth refused to identify himself, and the Belgian police tried to seek out who he was and contacted the NYPD the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and Scotland Yard to see if they had any info on this guy. And they did. They identified him as Worth. So Worth gets a trial and is sentenced to seven years in Belgian prison. He gets beaten up, his family and social standings ruined, but he seems to have behaved himself while in prison because he gets let go early in 1897. So he gets out and he's broke. So what does he do? Get an honest job? Nope. He steals what today would be the equivalent of about 633,000 US dollars from a London diamond dealer. Now, Worth wanted to move about freely and I suppose clear his name, but in America he had charges waiting for him. So he sought out the Pinkertons, ironically. Remember that famous painting of the Duchess? 
Well, this was his trump card. He worked out a deal with the Pinkertons agreeing to return this painting for $25,000 or about $688,000 in today's money and also on the condition that the Pinkertons could broker a guarantee of no prosecution. Well, miraculously, the deal went through, and in 1901, the painting was returned, the money given to Worth, and no charges were brought. Worth was pretty smooth. And at this time, he returned to London with his kids and lived the rest of his days with no further incident until he died in 1902. He was buried in a pauper's grave under his alias of Henry Raymond. And that's the story of the man who inspired the Sherlock Holmes character, Professor Moriarty. And now you know what I know. Wait, but Josh, how do we know he was the inspiration for the character? Well, Worth was given the title of, quote, the Napoleon of the criminal world by Sir Robert Anderson who was Assistant Commissioner of the London Metropolitan Police from 1888 to 1901. Okay, Josh, but how does that tie into Sherlock Holmes? Well, let me just let Sherlock describe Professor Moriarty for you. In his first appearance in the story called The Final Problem from 1893, quote, He sits motionless like a spider in the center of his web. But the web has a thousand radiations and knows well every quiver of each of them. He does little himself. He only plans. But his agents are numerous and splendidly organized. The agents may be caught. In that case, money is found for his bail or his defense. But the central power which uses the agent is never caught. Never so much as suspected. He is the Napoleon of crime, Watson." Unquote. So there. You see, Conan Doyle was in the same location, same time frame, and same circles as Worth. And clearly it was obvious he was the influence here. Also, Doyle knew and hung out with Sir Robert Anderson, and the two most certainly discussed Worth. And to mention, Doyle also met William Pinkerton, founder of the Pinkerton Agency. There is also a reference in his last Sherlock Holmes book, The Valley of Fear, where Moriarty's office is described and hanging in his office is a painting of a woman thought to be a reference to Worth's famous stolen painting of the Duchess. Also in the book, there is some possible wordplay with the title of the painting, La Genou Filet à Agnois. Nailed it, my French is still awesome. But that translates to the young woman from Agnew. And Agnew is thought to be kind of an inside joke on the name Agnew, spelled differently, who was the owner of the painting that Worth stole. Ah, okay. Convinced? Good. Now, I must say, being immortalized in a book was quite the honor for a criminal, I imagine. But perhaps even more honorable were the words from founder of the Pinkerton agency, William Pinkerton, he said, quote, This man was the most remarkable criminal of them all. Unquote. And maybe even more interesting was the fact that Worth's son went on to become a career Pinkerton agent. And this was most likely part of the deal he struck up with the Pinkerton agency when he returned the painting. But you know, a better deal he could have struck would have been for a haiku.
Sherlock can't catch him. Neither could the Pinkerton. Great Weezer album. And that's all the time this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or haiku at contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. 